Scripture this morning comes from Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord be with you. I have to confess, this is, um, this is uh, for the Christmas season, it's um, a little, little odd for me. I'm particularly a Bah Humbug person for most of the Christmas decorations, um, except for uh, nativity scenes. I love to check out nativity scenes. Not only their, their shapes, their sizes, but who's there, who's not there, all of the different appearances around. And I've seen nativity scenes that are made out of plastic and wood and even banana leaves. Uh, part of it is my love for art. Part of it is my dark sense of humor. And my children picked this up early. My boys used to decorate the nativity scene with Spider-Man was always on top. Um, it, the Incredible Hulk was the one who had to bring baby Jesus, you know, and so at least he's in good hands there, so yeah. And, um, and I've learned a thing of two as I've noticed a lot of different types of nativity scenes. I know that a nativity may or may not have angels. It may or may not have a barn or even animals. Uh, it has to have a Mary, a Joseph, and a baby Jesus. But it doesn't have to have wise men or camels. Uh, I've seen a folk nativity that has a pair of rabbits and a cat that were there. That was, that was interesting. Uh, um, and I've even seen some Peru that have llamas there. But there's one thing I've never seen. I have never seen a nativity scene with John the Baptist character there. Uh, you know, John is probably not who we think about in the midst of our holiday shopping and decoration with his wild diet, his crazy dress code, um, his shouts of uh, repentance and everything else. Uh, so much so, though, I love his line, repent, you brood of vipers. Uh, it took me over 15 years to convince my wife that we finally needed a Christmas card with that. So in 2020, uh, we displayed one. There it goes. 
uh, holiday cheer, repent, you brood of vipers. Uh, Merry Christmas 2020 from the sellers. And so, uh, so you immediately find out who all of your pagan friends are because they will go, why did you call me a brood of vipers? <laughs> um, and then your Christian friends would go, what, why? Uh, that's cool, I think, I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, we finally got him on a Christmas card. I now want to get him into a carol. So, Greg, that's your job is find me a carol with John the Baptizer or maybe one of those blow-up door hangers that you greet people and they can immediately kind of pop out and go, repent, you brood of vipers, as they enter for holiday cheer. (laughs) Yeah, see, this is strange here. Just like we have the Advent readings, every Advent we're going to hear about John the Baptizer. He appears in the wilderness of Judea preparing the way for his cousin Jesus. He had an interesting advanced team strategy. It was this. He threatened people with seven kinds of destruction. Yeah. Um, and if they didn't repent, then he called them snakes, um, you know, fleeing from the wrath to come and chaff that would burn up in unquenchable fire. And I'm sure I've triggered half of you that maybe grew up in a little more fire and brimstone type atmosphere. So yeah, it's that. Um, he's, his sermons must have made you feel so good about yourself. Yeah, um, just the kind of thing you would put on a Christmas card, right? So um, John was actually, he was, what he was doing is intentional with this preparing the way for a certain kind of Jesus, um, the kind of Jesus that he wanted. He looked around and saw that the world was going to, as they say in the South, hell in a handbasket, right? Um, he saw that there was evil, corruption, poverty, injustice, and he wanted for someone to restore law, order, decency. He wanted there to be a reckoning. He wanted the sinners to pay, if you would. So he went into the wilderness and he preached the message of the coming wrath and judgment. John wanted this type of Jesus to be on the spot for people to see the judgment so much that they would repent. And uh, it's interesting that that's who's preparing for. And on the second Sunday of Advent, we might ask ourselves with this question as we begin. What kind of Jesus do we want? And what kind of Jesus are we preparing to receive? Now, John's biggest gripe seems to be against the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, And if you're unfamiliar with this lot, well, let's kind of really reduce them to the, here's the the Twitter version of the religious part of who they were. They were the two main religious parties within the rabbinical of John's day. And on the one hand, they had some major differences of doctrine, but on the other hand, they were probably still more alike than different. So we might say um, Methodist and Baptist, right? Uh, Protestant and Catholic. However, we mix into that, they also had a lot of political power for their day. So it might be very common for us to imagine them as Democrats and Republicans. And John was probably angry with them for their complacency, their smugness. Um, Now, John grew up around them, after all. Um, They each had their theology and religious practices all worked out, and they were certain that they had arrived. They had arrived, and so whatever question you had, well, they had the right answer. And there is no room to consider another point of view, uh, to change their minds or behaviors. So John calls them a brood of vipers, snakes. And snakes are unclean animals, so he's, this is, yeah, this is not a lorm, flowery language. This isn't meant to be insulting. And you know what? 
the Pharisees and Sadducees were not the bigger, biggest evildoers of their time. And going after them, John didn't go after, you know, the robbers, the drug dealers, the terrorists, the, you know, murderers. No, instead he focused on church folks, the pillars of society, the taxpayers, the lawmakers, the rule keepers. In other words, us. And he tells them those warm, friendly words, repent, wise up, you snakes, change your lives, or God will change it for you. Um, And I often wondered, as I hear John's message here, what kind of Jesus did John want? I think, in some ways, John wanted Jesus to kick down the doors, to clean house, to call down fire and judgment for payback and destruction, for all the little ways that he had seen, you know, the things that we like to sit back and we hear another person in the church kind of get in trouble and we want to think hypocrites. And so uh, the Jesus that John wanted is, well, it's not the Jesus that he got. John wanted a Jesus who would judge, but the Jesus who he got said to the woman caught in adultery, I, neither do I condemn you. The Jesus who he got said to the brothers disputing over their property, Who appointed me judge over you? The Jesus he got said, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now if you read the rest of the Matthew's Gospel, I think it's clear that John did not get the Jesus that he wanted. He certainly did not get the Jesus that Matthew understood and wrote about. The Jesus who was accepting and forgiving, nonviolent, self-giving. John didn't get the message all right, but he didn't get it all wrong either. Like John, Jesus' harshest criticisms were for the church folks who thought that they had arrived, if you would. And like John, Jesus sought to persuade people to live lives that demonstrated their relationship with God. One of the lines that caught my attention with this reading is in the eighth verse, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. It calls me the halt and and the question, well, have I done that? Which really, really when you think about it, that should be every Christian's first, you know, kind of pausing moment is not to pause and look at everyone else, not to pause and condemn the world outside of the church, but first to pause and look at ourselves our own lives, our actions, not in a way to bring about shame or guilt, but to pause and say, okay, am I bearing fruit worthy of my repentance? William Balsh paraphrased John's teaching from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, uh, In it, he had this word to say. He said, demonstrate to me that you're repentant. Make friends with someone you're at odds with. Pick up the phone and talk to somebody you haven't talked to in months or years. Be the first to hold out the hand of reconciliation even though it gets slapped or rejected. Don't turn your head at shady dealings. Be willing to put some of your possessions on the line. Tithe, not out of your excess, but out of your substance. And up to your Christmas spending bills that you chalked up for presents, then slice off 10% and give it to the needy. Give evidence that you mean to repent. As I read William's words, I was like, ooh, gone the preaching and now the meddling, right? <laughs> gone the stepping on toes, gone to actually put it some, some hands and feet, some teeth in the midst of our discipleship. 
You might remember that John had some of his own group of disciples. And scholars believe that these disciples continued to follow John's teaching after the coming of Jesus, even after John was killed. By the time the Gospel of Matthew was written, well, John's disciples may have been competing with Jesus' disciples, with the early Christian church even. And I find it remarkable that Matthew chose to include John in the telling of Jesus' story, even though in Matthew's estimation, John didn't get it right. But yet Matthew was open to accepting John as one of God's legitimate messengers and followers. Echoing Elijah, echoing Isaiah, calling forth the one. Question then comes, well, what about us in our own story? Can we include others in our story of faith? I don't mean the others that are far out there, but the others that kind of you know, really get under our skin. Can we include those who don't have it all together and don't really care whether we know it, they have it all together or not, or might even let us know it? Can we include those who, well, that we sometimes standing on the banks of the Jordan kind of ready to despise the Sadducees and Pharisees? Can we include all of them in our story of faith? We might also ask to wonder if, well, if John didn't get it right, we might be include that, well, how many others in that have also included in this faith that we journey together, holding together our tension? What do we get right? What do we get wrong? I often wonder with that, uh, that line, you know, one day of looking for peace, the lion and the lamb. Good, good. Some of you have read that or heard it before, right? So um, I've often wondered, well, the lion and the lamb may lie down together, but the lamb definitely won't get much sleep, right? <laughs> um, there's a big disconnect sometimes between our Christmas card messages of peace on earth and the reality of what's going on. All of us want peace. All of us can respond to uh, the poetry in Isaiah's description of a peaceable kingdom. When we might have different ideas about how to achieve it, surely all of us long for the time when nothing be harmed um, or destroyed on God's holy mountain or anywhere else. And if the dream is ever going to become reality, well, then perhaps in the words of John, we must bear fruit worthy of repentance. Perhaps it's time for us to be peacemakers in the things that we see around us. Not calling out the others, but who are the ones on our doorsteps, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, school, work, that need to know and experience peace in flesh before them? Who are the ones that we might need to offer grace? Who are the ones that we might have to to step forward, to say something, even though it might bring conflict. Yeah. Um, maybe in our own community. Perhaps we need to learn from Matthew's example of including those with whom he disagreed. Um, as I was thinking on this illustration of bearing that line, of bearing fruit worthy of repentance, it reminded me of a poem that I heard years ago by William Blake called The Poison Tree. Um, and I'll, I'll read it. Imagine this. Uh, I was angry with my friend. I hold my wrath 
uh, excuse me, I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath, my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not, my wrath did grow. And I watered it in tears and fears, night and morning, and I summoned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles, and it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine, and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning glad I see my foe outstretched beneath the tree. I wonder how many times will be harbored the resentments, the fears, instead of bringing it out. This is a tough time, creating space for differences. Um, and yet, one of my favorite things is every month when we gather at the table, we begin with this. We begin with some lines of repentance as we call forth, well, some, um, some forgiveness. Forgiveness for ourselves, for our journey Forgiveness for others. Forgiveness for a community that we began again. Because our mark, our mark, every day and every time that we leave worship is hiding, looking forward, marching towards Christ, is looking at Jesus. That's the mark. And yet, we often miss the mark. So John echoes this Sunday repent, which means literally then to turn towards that mark. We're seeking to hold those differences that we might have, sharing bread and cup, joy and pain, hope and loss. Part of our work is to teach people how to disagree generously or how to be open to thoughtful critique and discussion. Our values aren't up for negotiation, but we can engage in conversation that helps all of us understand one another a little bit better. So I return again to the question that I asked earlier. What kind of Jesus do we want this Christmas? Do we want a sweet baby in a manger who requires nothing of us? Do we want a charismatic prophet who tells it like it is and condemns the wicked and rewards the faithful? Or could we possibly want a Jesus who calls us to love our neighbors, to demonstrate that we're repentant, Could we possibly be prepared to receive a Jesus who asks us to make friends with our enemies, to pick up the phone and call someone who we haven't talked with in months or years? The Jesus who tells us, tell the truth, but tell it with respect and love, not to ignore injustice or shady dealings. The Jesus who tells us to share, to lay down our lives for each other. Could we possibly want that kind of Jesus? And if so, what are we doing to be ready to receive him? Let us pray. Father, as we approach this Christmas season, we approach with a mindfulness of the ways that we might have missed the mark. Mindful of the ways that we might need to repent. So Lord, let us, let us receive that not with shame, not with guilt, not with a heaviness, but knowing that we approach the table, all of us together in community, so that we may set our eyes towards you, both now and always, forever and ever. Amen.